If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Maintaining a digital life balance. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Anna Lemke, author, professor of psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine, and chief of the Stanford Addiction Medicine Dual Diagnosis Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Lemke. Thank you for having me. So give us a brief summary, if you will, Anna, of your professional background. Well, I went to medical school here at Stanford, uh, did a psychiatry residency, joined the faculty here. So I've been at Stanford for a very long time. And I am now the uh, chief of our addiction medicine dual diagnosis clinic. That means we see patients who struggle with addiction and also co-occurring psychiatric disorders, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, et cetera. And um, I'm also medical director for addiction medicine more broadly here at Stanford. And that's kind of what I do. Your latest book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence, just hit the shelves. Start by describing what dopamine is and why do we need a book about it today? So um, dopamine is a chemical in the brain. It's a neurotransmitter and neurotransmitters are the molecules that allow our neurons to communicate. So neurons are the workhorse cells of our brains. They're long spindly cells and they conduct messages through electrical impulses that go down one neuron and then transmit to the next neuron, creating these neural loops or neural circuits. But one thing that's really interesting about neurons is that they don't actually touch end to end. There's a little gap between them called the synapse. And that gap is bridged by chemicals called neurotransmitters. And dopamine is one of those chemicals. And dopamine is not the only neurotransmitter involved in motivation, reward, and pleasure, but it's probably the most important one. And it's the final common chemical pathway for all addictive reinforcing um, behaviors that we do. So when we engage in something that's reinforcing or pleasurable, we get a little release of dopamine in the brain's reward pathway, which then creates these neural loops that make us feel good. What's wrong with trying to structure and live a life, if you will, of maximum pleasure, joy, happiness, and minimum pain? Well, you know, it doesn't sound bad. It sounds actually wonderful when you say it like that. But um, the truth is that our brains are very carefully evolved over millions of years to preserve something called homeostasis. And if uh, the, uh, the way I think about that is, to preserve a level balance. So if you imagine that in your brain, there's a, a balance like a teeter-totter in a kid's playground. And that one side of that balance is pleasure and the other side of that balance is pain. One of the overarching rules governing that balance is that it wants to remain level. It doesn't wanna be tipped for very long to the side of pleasure or the side of pain. And the way that our brains preserve a level balance or preserve homeostasis is by basically working very hard to re-regulate 
the balance once it's deviated from neutrality. So if we seek out pleasure and do something that's pleasurable, our balance tips to the side of pleasure, we get dopamine release in our brain's reward pathway. But no sooner has that happened than our brains will work to restore a level balance. And it, our brains do that by tipping it an equal and opposite amount to the side of pain before going back to the level condition. So what that means is that every experience of pleasure is followed on its heels by pain. That's the come down, the hangover, the after effect, that moment of wanting to do that thing one more time, look at, play one more level of video game, check our phones for one more text, eat one more piece of chocolate. And if we continue to engage in that pleasurable activity repeatedly, what happens is that the initial deviation to the pleasure side gets weaker and shorter in duration. And the after response to the pain side gets stronger and longer. And ultimately with too much pleasure or too much dopamine, we end up changing our set point, our pleasure set point so that the balance becomes semi-permanently tipped to the side of pain. And I imagine that as these gremlins hopping on the pain side of the balance in an effort to fight against too much pleasure. And what's happening in our brain is essentially down-regulating our own dopamine production and our own dopamine receptors. So too much pleasure leads to this dopamine deficit state. We don't just get a rise in dopamine with pleasure. We get a rise in dopamine followed by a decrease below baseline levels. And if we do a whole lot of pleasurable stuff over a long period of time, we can kind of get stuck in those below baseline levels. We can get a pleasure pain balance that's stuck on the pain side. So how has modern technology and social platforms changed our pleasure set point? Yeah, so what, what makes something addictive is that it releases a whole lot of dopamine all at once in our brain's reward pathway. And again, as I said, we have this automatic compensatory response where we downregulate then dopamine production and dopamine receptors to try to compensate for that. What makes something addictive is this huge release of dopamine in the brain's reward pathway. Also access makes it addictive. So if, we, if it's easier for us to get and we can get it whenever we want to change the way we feel, that makes something more addictive. If it's more potent, so we can, for example, combine multiple drugs at once or modulate that drug in certain ways to make it more potent, that makes it more addictive. If there are more variety of that drug, so there's more novelty, that's a huge trigger for dopamine. So it's quantity, access, potency, and novelty. And what technology has done is increased all of those things. So for example, if you think about the cigarette rolling machine, which was invented in the 1880s, allowed us uh, to go from manufacturing four cigarettes every second to manufacturing 20,000 cigarettes every second. You can imagine what that did in terms of access to cigarettes. And you won't be surprised to learn that with that increased access, we saw a huge increase in people addicted to cigarettes. Um, a, a, a modern analogy is opioids, right? Prescription opioids. In the early, late 1990s, 2000s, when Purdue came out with OxyContin, which was supposed to be this miracle opioid that people could use for pain relief that 
wouldn't get them addicted. Well, turned out that was totally false. And with the increased prescribing of OxyContin and other opioids, we saw more people exposed to them, more people getting addicted to them. And now, of course, we're in the second and third waves of that epidemic where we've got illicit fentanyl, which is 100% manufactured in the laboratory. So technology has allowed this super potent opioid to be manufactured cheaply in a laboratory. And now, of course, it's infiltrated the drug supply so that people have access to a super potent and very lethal form of an opioid. No matter what you look at, whether it is pornography or shopping, video games, um, social connections, um, food, we have drugified everything by in increasing quantity, potency, novelty, and of course our ubiquitous 24 seven access, making us really all vulnerable to the problem of addiction. If you haven't met your drug of choice yet, I like to say it's coming, it's coming soon to a website near you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So true. In the book, and in an anonymous fashion, I must say, you talk about some of your patients and their struggles what lesson did you learn about digital addiction from maybe one of your patients that remains most memorable? The book is really holding up my patients as modern day prophets for all of us, because if people with severe addiction can get into recovery in this dopamine overloaded world, they have a lot of wisdom to share for the average person struggling with a minor addiction. So there are lots and lots of lessons that I relay in my book that I've learned from my patients, but probably the, the first one is that recovery begins with a period of abstinence where we basically fast, go on a dopamine fast, and we don't use our drugs typically for at least a month in order to let our pleasure pain balance restore neutrality to regenerate our own endogenous dopamine, opioids, cannabinoids, serotonin, norepinephrine. And we really can only do that by abstaining long enough for those neuroadaptation gremlins to hop off the pain side of the balance and for homeostasis to be restored. So what are some of the signs of unhealthy tech or social media habits that we should look for in ourselves? And what first steps should we take if we notice any of them. Yeah. So the, the three things, well, the first three things to look for are, um, can be summarized by the three C's, control, compulsion, and consequences. So when we begin to notice or others notice for us that we are using in a way that's out of control, using more than we plan to use, using longer than we plan to use, plan to just play video games or be on social media for an hour, and found ourselves four hours later still on. That, that's an area of concern. Compulsive use. So a lot of mental preoccupation with using, looking forward to using, um, making up for having used. Um, there's a level of automaticity to compulsions where we don't necessarily plan on using, but then we find ourselves 
kind of just automatically picking up our phone and scrolling without really much intentionality. That's something to look for. Um, the third C is consequences. So when we start to notice that our technology use is interfering with our lives in important ways, for example, interfering with our sleep, we're staying up late at night using, tired the next day, not able to perform, or if others in our lives comment that we seem not present because we're continually distracted by our phones or other technology, um, those, are, those are definitely things to look for. And then the other important aspect I think is to pay attention to how our engagement with technology makes us feel. It probably makes us feel good in the moment or at least feel numb or somehow not having to be in our bodies or in our own thoughts for the moment. But if we start to notice that we have difficulty extracting ourselves and we start to feel that come down, that pleasure pain balance tipping to the side of pain, and that in the minutes or hours afterwards, we feel more depressed, more anxious, more irritable, then we are experiencing the universal symptoms of withdrawal from any addictive substance, which are anxiety, irritability, insomnia, depression, and mental preoccupation with using our drugs. So those are really worrisome. And then the final thing is, is just tolerance, finding that we need more and more to get the same effect. So if Pac-Man used to be fun, but isn't fun anymore, and now we need this highly graphic League of Legends to be fun, um, you know, that, that's sort of a kind of uh, maybe, you know, more of a historical um, progression in video games since no one plays Pac-Man anymore. But um, you, know, you can apply that to, do you play Pac-Man? I, I play Centipede. <laughs> okay, that's right, modern day Pac-Man, right? Yeah, so Centipede's a nice example, um, you know, kind of needing escalating versions of that or needing to, you know, keep your ranking, um, you know, feeling like, oh, I can't stop because I'm now 10th and I gotta get to nine. And so those are the kinds of things that, you know, we kind of get sucked into that vortex that we have to pay attention to. And find Dopamine Nation at all the major book retailers. Go down the street to your favorite bookstore or maybe download it on Audible. I highly recommend it. Dr. Anna Limke, professor of psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine and chief of the Stanford Addiction Medicine Dual Diagnosis Clinic and author of Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. Thanks again for joining us. Oh yeah, happy to be here. Thank you and find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on all the major podcast platforms under the Tanya Hall Innovation Show or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.